A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where I interview incredible entrepreneurs and influencers who have achieved success by embracing their multi-passionate selves and using their neurodivergence as a tool to grow their business. I'm your host, Cheryl Woodhouse, and I'm here today with Allison Tedford, who's going to share more about how they got started, the biggest decisions they believe led them to success, and what they want to share with other neurodiverse entrepreneurs coming up behind them. Allison helps people tell better stories, get inclusive, and connect better with their audiences. And as a member of her audience, I can attest to the fact that she's pretty pro at that. So hi, and welcome, and thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so grateful. It's going to be really fun. Um, Why don't we start off by you just telling us a little bit about what you do? There's kind of a few things that you do, if I'm following correctly. Yeah, so I work with people to be able to create a sense of belonging, either through stories or strategies. So that could look like telling stories of um, social impact they're creating in the world. That could be stories that create positive representation for people who have not been historically well represented in media or and, and just telling stories of people who haven't always had as much access to media to share their experiences. And then on the strategy side, I help business owners look at their business and see where um, policies, processes, the way they deliver services can reflect their values of inclusion and um, their desire to be able to help more people. Okay. That makes a lot of sense given your passions based on what I see on social media, the things that you post about. This is not something that you're doing because you know, you were asked to, or because there's a whole bunch of money there. It's, it's because this is something that's really important to you and it's very aligned with your values. Yes. Yeah. I have been doing this kind of work in various capacities for my whole career. And, um, it's something that was really natural. Um, I wasn't sure what the demand would be for this in the private sector after moving out of government. I thought I would just be writing content about like marketing services that were not um, specific to marginalized communities or um, I I just didn't know if there was room for my voice in that area. Um, And I ended up finding my my people. So it's been really exciting to get to do the thing that I want to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, You're also an author, correct? You have a couple of books. I, I have, yeah, I have a number of books. My first book was about chronic pain and entrepreneurship, um, and it integrated the perspectives of 26 people who either have chronic pain or serve people who have chronic pain and, um, and my own experiences. I co-wrote a textbook with a nonprofit client and around um, like teaching Indigenous youth digital skills and traditional skills. And then I wrote a book about inclusion called Stay Woke Not Broke, which just came out in April. And I ghost wrote a memoir of a traveling midwife, which was really cool. And I am releasing another one in September about reconciliation and business. That is so cool. 
Um, I will fully admit I have too big of a stack of books to have gotten to that one, but it's on the list. Oh. Especially Stay Woke, Not Broke. It sounds like something that I really, it, it's exactly in my wheelhouse. So totally recommend. It's on, where can people buy it? Amazon? Uh, yeah, Amazon, your local independent bookstore can order it in. Um, it's published by Self Council Press. It's available okay. on uh, ebook as well. So any ebook platform, you can download it and don't even have to go to a store. Okay, fantastic. So e-readers for those of us that don't want to leave home, local bookstores for those of us who can, and Amazon for those of us who neither of those things are accessible. That sounds like a good way to cover everything. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you got started in doing this. Like you mentioned you were previously in government and then you moved into writing um, and you weren't sure you'd be able to write the things that you wanted to write. Why did you make the change? Well, I had been in government for over a decade and I was having some health challenges that made uh, working from home a better option. And it wasn't something that was necessarily available for the role that I had. Um, they were also at the same time having this um, payroll system meltdown where they bought some software that didn't work out very well. And all of a sudden they were unable to accurately and consistently pay like public servants across the country. So that was something I didn't wanna participate in necessarily as a sole wage earner. So I decided to try and grow this tiny little business I had been subcontracting, doing social media management um, for the marketing firm that was owned by a publisher who um, published my works on a collaborative blog. And uh, I loved it. And um, when I expressed that I really wanted to do this full time and, and work with people in different ways, um, the owner of the company, Julie Noel, just recommended me to all of the people in her circle and filled my funnel so that I was able to replace my government salary within five months and go out on my own. So it was really a very cool experience. I had been writing like blogging and freelance writing a little bit on the side for a number of years, but I didn't think it was something that I could do and still support my family. And um, so yeah, it was it was kind of an unlikely accidental business growing situation where I mostly just looked around at the people who were around me and looked at what their pain points were and whether I could help them. So it was a bit of a patchwork quilt in the beginning and it's become a bit more refined over time. But yeah, it's, uh, that was kind of the messy beginnings of, of uh, people coming together. I'm just, I'm trying not to jump out of my skin and celebrate you right now, because that is the way most successful people find their success. It's not building funnels on the internet for clients to magically find them in their niche. It's looking around them, who has pain points, and how can I help with the things that I can do and pitch in like a good neighbor and get paid well for it. That's so perfect. Yeah, I didn't have a website or a Facebook page until I was already fully booked and had replaced my income and even now it's not central to my sales process yeah that's a pretty common story actually it's you're not so much of an outlier yeah i think but i think what i see a lot is that people who are thinking about wanting to get started they get really hung up on the wall the branding needs to be perfect and the the menu has to be just right and the website has to just look 
so and it's like um yes those are important things um and valid concerns but we can also just get to work and see who needs us and reach out to people right it doesn't have to be you know you can be basing things off of a medium blog that you create and drive traffic to like you don't have to own your own platform in order to be able to create a reference point for people to understand how awesome you are yes exactly i spent much of my early copywriting career sending out samples as just like word documents and tailoring the samples and testimonials to each individual client i had i didn't even have a portfolio online and i still got hired for sure yeah i think sometimes we can get in our own way with what we think we need 100 percent, and i think that's true at every stage not just the beginning <laughs> oh definitely i i yeah i thought i needed a fancy sales page and i filled a group program with an ugly google doc so i'm constantly yeah. surprised by the ability to improvise and and how people really are more interested in the message than the packaging sometimes yeah 100 percent um okay Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about neurodivergence. Um, you are one of us. <laughs> Do you have a diagnosis? Are you self-diagnosed? Do you feel like sharing? Sure, yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD inattentive type in November. Um, and I... ...that I found that there were friction points and I just wanted to find kind of an answer about what that was about. Um, so I uh, booked an appointment with my local adult ADHD center and they um, did some forms in an interview and determined that was uh, what was happening. So it was really context and it was important context for me. That's awesome. Um, and yeah i know there there is one that's fairly local to us where actually we live about 30 minutes apart so it's funny to be doing this on zoom but there it is um yeah but <laughs> how did i, I think, not know that <laughs> oh no i'm i'm up at cultus lake so oh okay yeah um, we're practically neighbors basically yeah um but yeah you probably went to the same center that's in near Vancouver that I would be going to if I ever wanted my formal and I've heard really good things about them being very supportive and open not the most accessible because there's a fee if you want to access services in a timely manner but the fee isn't exactly high not compared to others that I've heard yeah um I that was where I got my first diagnosis um and the challenge that I had was that because I didn't have a family doctor, mm. I didn't have anybody to manage the medication recommendations. Yeah. So I did end up seeking support through another local ADHD center, um, which had another longer, more um, extensive process, um, but they're, they're managing um, my treatment now, which is really amazing because it's really hard to get support if you don't have a family doctor. Yes, and there is definitely a bit of a crisis of that here in BC um, of not enough family doctors to go around for sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I, I might have one. I'm hoping, but it's been a long time since I've had one. So fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed for you for sure. Um, when you got your diagnosis, how how do you think that's helped you succeed? Has it helped you? 
for me, it's been more of a starting point for being able to troubleshoot things. Like sometimes things are hard and I didn't know why they were hard and I didn't know what I needed to change to make it easier or what modifications existed. So when you have a diagnosis, it can be helpful just like from an, a search engine optimization perspective of being able to find solutions that other people might have come across, right? It just gives you like some, a language to talk about something that's hard and, um, and an ability to find community. So I, I mean, I, it turned out I was like massively surrounded by all sorts of people already. And I just didn't realize that, that we all shared that also, but yeah, it just really helped me get why certain things were the way they were and why I felt different ways. And, and so now I just can see those things in a different context of like, this is how my brain is. And I have an ability to develop skills that can um, help me navigate some of those challenges, but it's also a difference I can celebrate because it allows me to bring a unique perspective to the work that I do. Yes. I, isn't it funny how we all accidentally surrounded ourselves with neurodivergent people and none of us had any idea that that was happening <laughs> right yeah. right and i'm you know so super delighted because yeah. you know i love my people and it's it's kind of cool to have another another reason i belong <laughs> yeah for sure okay um looking back on this whole journey that you've had were there any pivotal moments or decisions that you made that you believe made you more successful? Um, yeah, so um, when the pandemic hit and I had just become a single parent again, um, I, I lost half of my business because I had been supporting a couple of motivational speakers and a makeup artist and I was helping launch a movie and all of those things got shut down. So I had to, I was at a point where I just um, didn't have the, like I lost half my roster. And I also lost it in such a way that I didn't qualify for any government assistance um, under the um, programming that was out there because my business just didn't um, look the same as the businesses they structured it on. And so I had to improvise and make things work because I didn't really have another option. Um, so I refocused uh, where I was working and what I was doing, and I streamlined a lot of things. So I wasn't offering so many different things to so many different people. I mean, I still do a variety of things, but not to the same extent where I used to like transcribe and check people's email and also write and also manage social media and also um, do consulting. So it was just a very broad thing, which made it hard for people to give good referrals because they weren't really clear what I was doing. So making uh, a more conscious decision to be intentional about how I talk about my work really made a difference and starting to trust myself to offer what I used to do in government in the private sector. Because when I moved into the private sector, I felt like I had to like work my way up and I didn't consider the possibility of like a lateral transfer between systems. So I learned a lot of things I wouldn't have otherwise learned, but it did mean that um, there was an impact on, on early revenue. And also it did mean that I, I didn't fully appreciate 
what I was bringing to the table and the value of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that early pandemic period was an interesting transition for a lot of people, um, especially freelancers, because a lot of a lot of freelancers who were focused on specific sectors. I myself was trying to jump into the tourism industry at that time. Very oh, no. terrible timing. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> so that's when you walk into yeah. a building that's on fire and been like, yeah. hey, friends, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to buy my stuff? Yeah, no, it does not work. Selling hand warmers to people in a building that's on fire is pretty much what what you were doing, trying to do anything for tourism at that point. But like you mentioned, most government support programs were geared towards companies with employees, companies with overhead, um, or companies that had lost all of their income and needed a supplement. So the businesses with no employees and no overhead who had their income cut in half were basically completely lost in all of the supports. And also it didn't recognize that like, okay, so maybe like if you had a really good few months the year prior in the same time period, even if you've lost like half of your business, it, it didn't count as a loss because the comparable period didn't show the monetary reduction. And if things would have been extended and you would have had more revenue, but the sectors closed, there was no way to account for the lost extension of contracts. And yeah. it also didn't reflect the reality that we don't always get paid immediately. So a month where you have no work, something from two months ago, money might show up and then like, it's no longer a loss, but you like still don't have work and you still don't know where your next money is coming. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, really challenging time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it still is to a certain extent, but, um, yeah, that was kind of when I had to really shift things. And I mean, and being in that position of not qualifying for any support, I had to really innovate. And I was able to double my business after that, like from, from my pre-pandemic state, which was really um, exciting and awesome um, and brought new challenges and opportunities. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it definitely, that was a point. And I mean, before the pandemic, I'd written zero books. I got yeah. my acceptance for my first book like um a week or two before the pandemic started wow so it was like a very um uh cocoon butterfly period for me yeah absolutely absolutely um if you could share one thing with other people like you who are trying to build their business or trying to build their influence what would you say um, I think that it's important to share where you're at because people around you may be feeling the same way and feeling really lonely. And I think that there's value in having people feel heard and feel felt and feel like, you know, that like, even if things are hard, like that's not to say there's something like, um, it, it doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. Right. Like, it might mean that there's opportunities to do things differently in the future, but to not feel so much shame when you know that there's other people who are just like you, who are trying to make things work and facing, facing challenges and finding new opportunities. So I think if we stick together, we're much better positioned. Yeah. And that's so true in our community. I find the content that I post, that's just like, here's how my brain works and it's a struggle. Everyone pipes up. 
oh my goodness you too <laughs> right and or so and even even something like this is something neat I learned about my brain right like I didn't realize that I was doing a lot of writing because of my lack of working memory like writing is a way that I could gather all of the pieces in a place I could see them and assemble them into something beautiful or I didn't have to be able to keep track of odds and ends which was something my brain really really struggles with so it, it definitely was insightful in terms of like why am I good at these things and why do these things interest me yeah that's awesome if people want to learn more about you, I know we talked about like you didn't really have a website for the longest time, but do you have a website? Do you have a central place, resources they could pick up? Where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at, I'm at alisontedford.com online. Um, I have an inclusion checklist where people can take a look at their assets and their processes and um, find some opportunities for some quick wins and and so that's one place where you can um, get that and also learn about the programs that I offer, um, or you can follow me on social media at Allison Tedford on Instagram and Facebook or at Ali Spins on Twitter. Awesome. I'll make sure to include links down below for most of that. And uh, I'll probably take a look at that inclusion checklist myself just to make sure I'm on track. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you so much, Allison. And thank you to everyone who listened in today. Um, as mentioned, I'll have all those links in the description, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts um, or right there on Anchor. There will also be a link in there to our Facebook group where you can pop in and do a little Q&A the day this is released. If you have any questions for Allison, I'll make sure that she um, is made aware and can respond to you so that you can get to know each other better. This has been another episode of Master of None.